Hello everyone, and welcome back to SCADcast. Thank you for joining us, I'm Matt Nickley. Look around you. Name the colors that you see. There is a palette of Pantone in every detail. Take a look at the leaves on the nearest tree. Are they forest? Olive? Sage? These subtle differences lead to countless debates in the paint aisles of hardware stores everywhere. The go-to organization people turn to for color consulting is without a doubt the Pantone Color Institute and their executive director, Leatrice Iceman. Each year, the institute names the Pantone Color of the Year, the hue that best represents where we are and what we're striving for. Past colors include Mimosa in 2009, Radiant Orchid in 2014, and last year's Living Coral. 2020's is classic blue, a hue that Pantone says installs calm, confidence, and connection that is reminiscent of the sky at dusk, the atmosphere that anticipates what happens next. I connect deeply with this sentiment. Dusk and the evenings are when I'm most productive. It's when I can write and brainstorm freely. Dawns are for editing. Obviously, much has happened across the globe since Pantone made its choice, but that allusion to dusk and anticipation for the dawn is one that we can all relate to. It is a hue of newly rejuvenated strength, the color all things can count on. Paula Wallace sat with Iceman in January to reflect on the effects color has on our lives, its power to invigorate, its influences on our hearts and minds and Iceman's ability to spread the conversation. From SCADcast, this is On Creativity, a conversation between Paula Wallace and Leatrice Iceman. Pantone Color of the Year is classic blue, so tell me more about that hue and how we will be seeing it in 2020. Well, we choose the hue because we do a lot of travel, we do a lot of thoughtful research, and it's not just because it's a beautiful color to look at, it's not just the aesthetics, although that's an important part of it, but it's also the message that is behind the color. And in talking to people today, they're telling us they want to be able to relax, to get a sense of tranquility, uh, to get some sort of peace in their lives. And uh, it's also a color that has a great versatility in the design world. Because on the one hand, you have the aspect of it that's very historical and traditional, like a beautiful velvet, you know, wing-back chair. Yeah. On the other hand, you can think of it in some amazing new car uh, that has a wonderful sheen on it that speaks to high tech. So there are, you know, two sides of the story with the color. And in addition to that, in studies that the Pantone Color Institute has done all over the world, we find that blue is absolutely the international favorite. So it's hard to choose a blue that people won't love, but it's the particular shade of blue that we were really looking at, and that's the classic blue. Yes, and it's not, it's not royal blue, it's not navy blue. Exactly. It's kind of somewhere in between. Exactly. It's very comforting, kind of the color of dusk, the color yes. of trust. Right. 
um, it's a great choice. Right, and you're mentioning the color of dusk. That has a lot to do with it. Why do people have that feeling of tranquility and serenity, mm -hmm. believability in the color? Uh, if we look to nature, which is where mm -hmm. a lot of our influence from color comes from, and we think of the color of the sky, the twilight sky, we know the day is winding down, and we've all had hectic lives that are full of everything that we're doing. And then at that time of day, it's just kind of, let's take a few minutes to relax. We may go out afterwards, but that's the relaxing time of day. And that's why people have this natural affinity to thinking of a classic blue as a tranquilizing, serene color. Be in the moment with classic blue. Yes. Classic blue, living coral, greenery, radiant orchid. What goes into the naming process for Pantone colors? Because you do a great job with the naming of things. Well, thank you. And it, and it is something we give a lot of thought to because a, name, a color name needs to be evocative. I mean, if you're buying a new nail polish or lipstick, you don't want a red number 1234. That has no <laughs> romance that's attached to it at all. But if you give it an evocative name, the year that we did yellow, because yellow is not necessarily the most popular color, but we thought the timing was right, we called it Mimosa. And mm -hmm. even to say that name mm -hmm. has a rather glamorous panache that's yes, attached it to it. So people think of lovely thoughts around a color, or they think of a, a certain mood, as in the classic blue. So it sort of builds up an expectation of what the color's going to look like before they even see it. Yes, you have to put it in words, and that's difficult because yes. it's, it's visual. Yes, exactly, exactly. You do a lot of color consulting. How does a brand pick a color that will become iconic? So I'm thinking of Tiffany Blue, Coca-Cola Red, Hermes Orange. Well, I think a lot of the, the thought that goes into that is what the color represents, what it means. Uh, it has to speak to the brand image. What, what do you want to believe about this color? Uh, I, of course, I wasn't around when Tiffany named their Tiffany Blue. Uh, nevertheless, what happens is that it becomes so attached to quality and beauty hmm. that people have that expectation when you're given that Tiffany box. You know you're going to get something very special. And of course, with the Hermes, that is a rather traditional color in the way that it, it came from the Hermes background, uh, equestrian kind of background. And orange was a color that was used extensively in that area. A lot of people don't realize that but what they did was to glamorize it so again you want to open that Hermes box and you know it's going it has to be that something cachet. very marvelous <laughs> yes a cachet exactly and companies really are uh, quite devoted to their their colors yes and they should be with their branding yes they should be because with their branding it does tell people it, it, it informs them that they can have a certain expectation uh, banks and institutions, lending institutions that involve uh, the use of money and the protection of your money, uh, many times they choose blue because of the fact that blue is attached to, as we've already spoken to, uh, a certain confidence that you can have with that color. Um, testing us, though, in color consulting is the matter of, but you don't want every bank to have a blue logo because then it all, you know, it all looks the same. So our job as colorists is to identify the meaning of the color, the messaging, but perhaps skew that blue a little bit. Maybe we're going to turn it a little bit into a periwinkle, not quite a deeper blue. So you're going to be a little bit different than your competition. And we do look at the competition because you do not want to look like you're a copycatting person that is 
uh, doing a product uh, that's very close to what you're doing. No, yeah, Kroger is different from Publix. Exactly, exactly. In their color and in their branding. Yes. Chromaticity, complementary, monochromatic. I think color theory has the best vocabulary. Do you have any favorite terms? Well, my favorite term, I have to say, when it comes to the color wheel, is complementary. Because people just automatically assume that it's complementary spelled <laughs> with an I. And we do hear that, oh, your, your, uh, your skirt looks very good with your blouse. It's complement. The colors are complementary. Yes. But complementary is a quite different view. Yes. Mm -hmm. They're opposites, opposites on the color wheel, which means that if you put a red next to a green, complements on the color wheel, spelled with an E, yes. that the red will never look redder and the green will never look greener. So they complement each other because they intensify each other. Mm -hmm. And I love to explain that to people because it's one of those things about color that we don't really give any thought to. We mm -hmm. sort of know it, we feel it, but we don't know the reason why. And to me, one of the most fascinating things about color is to be able to instruct, to mm -hmm. teach people about it so that it might even justify a natural affinity they have for color. But once they know the reason why, it gives them confidence to go just a little bit further with color. Mm -hmm. How would you identify the complementary color for classic blue then? Well, that would be in the orange, orange. family. Mm -hmm. And again, it wouldn't mean that it has to be a bright popping orange. Mm -hmm. Uh, again, that's another misconception that you have to go to mm. the fullest, satu most saturated color. You don't. You could take the classic blue and use it with a lovely peachy kind of apricot tone. Ooh, that's a good or idea. Terracotta would be the you know another version in the mm -hmm. orange family. So you have so many possibilities within the color wheel to get you out of that just strict primary or secondary color. Uh, mm -hmm. But what are other variations of the color that might make for? A beautiful combination. Mm -hmm. And then analog colors or the colors within a shade. Um, we say at SCAD, we say all greens go together mm -hmm. <laughs> because you just look at the landscape and you see all different shades of green and if you put all the greens together in an interior it's it's going to look good. Absolutely but you know historically there was a time when you did not use blue greens with yellow greens but our changing thoughts and evolving thoughts about color are amazing. And creatives today get that. In the students that I talked to here at SCAD, uh, I mean, they were all excited because I said to them, there are certain color guidelines, but we have to be cautious about color rules. Mm. A color is an art and a science. We combine the two. Mm -hmm. And we can use our imaginations mm -hmm. and know that within the green family, just as Mother Nature uh, put out there for us, we know that we can take a beautiful teal, a blue-green, yes. and put that next to a yellow-green, sort of a chartreuse kind of a green, mm -hmm. and it is a spectacular combination, it just is. as we see it out in nature in yeah. a garden. Yes. yes, like a zing of acid green and then a mossy against a mossy green, maybe just what you need. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, and I'm always saying too that any color will work against green. So I like to expand people's thinking into realizing it's a neutral color. It's mm. Mother Nature's most ubiquitous neutral color. And so it doesn't have to be beige and off-white and cream and gray if you're getting a little tired of using those as your neutrals. But reach out into the greens. We never walk out into the garden and say, oh, 
daffodils, yellow daffodils against green, not a good combination. <laughs> Red tulips against green, no, does not make it. Uh, think of all the different colors you get against green, and it's all absolutely beautiful. Sure, nature is your full foolproof guide. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what about the symbolism of colors? Well, each color does have invariably a symbolism that yeah, is it, it attached evokes, to. You know. Exactly. And since we're talking about green, we have seen a great evolution of the meaning of green because we are uh, thinking very much of our earth, of preserving our environment. And today, to be a green industry is a compliment. It's a compliment. Exactly. At one point, it might have meant, oh, well, they're new, so they might not know very much oh, they were green. Yeah, that's another but, connotation. Exactly. And so we find that over the years, there are connotations of color that do change. Interesting. <laughs> Well, obviously, we value color here at SCAD. We teach more than 150 color theory classes a year. It is a key part of every student's education here at SCAD. Fibers, illustration, advertising, thank you for talking to so many different disciplines uh, at SCAD this week. Can you speak to the importance of color across a variety of creative careers? Well, it is important across a variety, and I'm always telling uh, anyone that wants to hear me talk about color, and I'm very willing to talk about it all the time, uh, that you have to keep the macro picture in mind. Uh, you must look at what's happening in all creative fields, and when I say creative, even industrial design today of course. is considered a creative field. Oh, yes. Uh, because what is happening in one area can very much influence what is happening in another. I will tell you that we talked about nail polish before, looking at some of the amazing nail polish colors that are now appearing on the surface of a new car. Uh, we've always, you know, adapted to the, the color in, in cosmetics, mm -hmm. but why not take those same colors now and put them into product design, which is exactly what is happening. So you need to look at the big picture. Your blenders, your toasters, your exactly. cell phones. Right, right. All of these objects now are taking on colorations that they didn't have many years ago. And it's wonderful mm -hmm. because this is what excites people. This is what gets them talking about color. And this is what I'm always hoping to do, to start a conversation about color. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the ways that we do it is to often ask people what their favorites are, what their least favorites are. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing when people start to reveal how they really feel about color. You can get a whole conversation going about um, how their emotions are so tied into the colors that they see. Very tied in. Yes. So you mentioned blue is probably the most popular, universally popular color around the world. What would you say is the least favorite in your research? Well, it used to be that uh, in the oranges and the yellow greens, you had the hardest, the toughest sell. Mm -hmm. But over the last 10 years, that has really changed considerably because there's a greater appreciation of how color is used. I mentioned Hermes as a brand. Years ago, people didn't have access to seeing that. If they were a certain strata economically, they didn't know what an Hermes scarf looked like. But today, when you go online and you, you look at Instagram and you look at everything that's available for you to see, or you look at another culture, and if orange is used, a beautiful shade of saffron is used in another culture, it might not be something that you're accustomed to from the way that you were raised or where you were raised, but now you're developing a new appreciation for that color. So we find that there's less of a, uh, an argument against color. People are, are broadening their viewpoint about color and not being so um, 
so strong about, oh, I don't like that color, particularly if you can get them engaged in conversation as to why they don't like that color. We can hopefully change their minds. Yeah, global is local. And I always say looking at the palette that's used in an Hermes scarf, if you just use that to dress yourself or to design a rim, you would be on the right track. Exactly, exactly. Especially if you happen to like the color, why not surround your world with it? Exactly. Your creative career path began with psychology, and we know psychology is key to color theory and color choices. How does color manifest in memory, and how does it influence human behavior? Well, much of what happened to us in childhood is stored in our memory banks. And if you had a traumatic experience that involved a color, and children do remember, uh, even though they might store it away, and we might not remember, you know, very easily as we grow into adults. If you think about it for a while, you can remember what triggered that positive mm -hmm. or negative response. Mm -hmm. So let's say you were four years old, you were given your first tricycle, mm -hmm. you fell off the tricycle and you weren't able to go outside and play with your friends. Mm -hmm. To a four-year-old, that's absolutely traumatic. And so somehow you store away the color of that bicycle. And in later years, you look at it and you're not so sure you like it so much. Mm -hmm. But if I can, again, engage you in conversation and find out what that thought is attached to, then I can hopefully change your mind. Mm -hmm. It's not relevant anymore in your adult life. It happened when you were a child, and it, it's over. So now let's expand our horizons with color again. You've written all these books, and more, I'm sure. Um, obviously, color is your life. How did you get to be a color expert? And not everyone would have thought of color as a career, but obviously um, you're the color expert. How did, how did your career path evolve this way? Well, again, it started in my childhood. I had a mother and an aunt who really encouraged me because early on they recognized that I had a skill in putting colors together. I wasn't an artist, I didn't paint, but I just simply knew how to put colors together. It, it was very natural for me. And when I was a teenager, my mother allowed me to paint my room and I came up with a red and black combination one year. <laughs> the proviso was, you can, you, know, you can have this color, it's kind of bright, mm -hmm. but uh, you get to buy the paint and repaint the room yourself when you get tired of it. Oh my and goodness. it's a great lesson for a child. It, it gives you responsibility and the freedom to choose, but you have the responsibility to change it. And so with that kind of attitude, as I grew to an adult, mm. I had this sense of freedom with color, and then I knew that psychology of color, even though I had studied a lot of design and used color in the fashion field, which is where I got started, uh, I knew that there were other worlds to conquer in color and other avenues of color, including psychology, to pursue. Very interesting. From glasses that enhance limited color vision to medical and wellness applications, what color technology gets you the most excited for the future? Well, I think the ability for people to see color better. Uh, I think that, uh, that there are so many things that are happening now medically where you can have cataract surgery that yeah. helps, whereas when people got older years ago, that wasn't an option for them. But I think technology is going to uh, take us down paths where perhaps we're going to see colors that the birds and the bees see that we don't oh, see. that's exciting. Isn't that amazing? Yes. And to see colors within the infrared range. I Right now it sounds pie in the sky, but I do think that technology is going to take us there one day. 
looking forward to that. Yeah. Two businesses that everyone experiences directly with color are their kitchens and their cars. In the 60s, the vibrant muscle car colors were kind of reds and blues, and, um, and now cars are more in the metallics, whites, and blacks. In kitchens, I've heard that avocado greens and even turquoise lacquer kitchens are coming back. So uh, what do you see as lifestyle trends? Well, I think that there is this strong nostalgia bent. Uh, we People ask me all the time, is retro over? And I say, no, it's not. Because there is some identification with the past that people do have. You talk about a kitchen in particular. Uh, you uh, grew up in grandma's kitchen and you loved to bake cookies with her and the colors of the curtains. Whatever color was, was uh, prom prominent in that room uh, stays in your mind's eye. And so young people today are going back and revisiting some of the colors that perhaps an older generation might have some trepidation, you know, avocado green because the whole world was avocado green at a particular time. But there's more openness now at attached to that. So I think that we are seeing a return to the past, but given a, a futuristic aspect. Now you're seeing that enameled refrigerator or that fabulous stove uh, that is done in a color that you didn't see before because technology has given us a finish that didn't make that uh, possible. From film to fashion and architecture and interior design, color trends across creative industries. Which industry leads, do you think? Um, where do most color trends begin? Like, it seems to me maybe film might be the kind of cultural, popular cultural impetus, but um, what do you notice in your work? Well, traditionally it was fashion because fashion designers were always willing to push the envelope a little further. Mm -hmm. But I have to say that that has changed drastically and your mentioning film is very true. I'm always uh, telling people, go out and see what is happening in the films or stream them at home, particularly the animated children's films, because they, again, have the technology now to create these amazing colors on the screen. Mm -hmm. And then the, the average person goes to see that, takes a child there, uh, and when children see a film, they're gonna wanna see it again and again and again, and it makes its way into children's products as well. But the point is that when you see it on that big screen, or even if it's on your, your uh, computer screen, at the same time, uh, you are then encouraged to use some of the colors that you're seeing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that the animation, the uh, animators, the graphic design people that work in that area have to be applauded for the work that they do because I'm sending everybody to see those movies mm -hmm. to get the latest color influences. Mm -hmm. Love that. <laughs> well, animation is a very mm -hmm. popular major here at SCAD. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Leatrice, for being here at SCAD and for taking a few minutes to share your vast knowledge about color. We thank love you. color. Thank you. <laughs>
I still think about the question posed by one of our first On Creativity guests, Carlton Varney, who asked, what is the first room you remember? That memory has a profound impact on our tastes, and I encourage you to repeat that exercise again in light of Iceman and Wallace's conversation. Surround yourself with the hues that matter to you and reflect on why that might be. Be sure to keep an eye on the Guests and Gusto events page on scad.edu to find out and participate in virtual artist visits and upcoming interviews. Thank you for tuning in to SCADcast and On Creativity, executive produced by SCAD president and founder Paula Wallace, with original music by SCAD alumnus George Lovett. On behalf of the entire SCAD community, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay active. We'll see you next time.